You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi, it's Julie here. Thanks for tuning in. Bridget and I had the pleasure of talking with Wanda Cole Nicholson, advanced sommelier and founder of VinBev. Wanda has been the recipient of many awards, including Best of Award of Excellence from Wine Spectator. She shares her journey of discovering wine and her passion to learn and educate others through front-of-the-house wine service and private consultation at vinbev.net. So sit back, fill up a glass of your favorite Riesling, and as Wanda likes to say, imbibe, learn, enjoy, repeat. Wanda, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be a part of this. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Bridget. Bridget, you and I go way, way back, um, actually probably a decade or longer, Mm -hmm. um, Chicago hospitality professionals. And when you asked me to collaborate with you, I kind of like, you know, got a little starstruck, kind of like I did when we did that we did that event uh, for Chicago Gourmet back in like 2012 at Vermilion. Do you remember that dinner? That I we do. Did? I do. I yeah. remember that. Oh my God. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be on the same ticket with Bridget and with Debbie and, and Chef Karen. <laughs> but, 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 I, but I feel the same way about you. I'm like, we're going to wander on the show. I'm so excited. I can't wait for Julie to meet her because you're just <laughs> such a rock star. And you're going to really bring something very special to the show as well, because something we don't talk a whole lot about on the show, we don't talk, I should say, with is a lot of wine professionals. And so this will really bring us down a a new journey today. So thank you for that. Could you share with our listeners and with Julie and I, you know, a bit about your journey, you know, where you grew up, how did your, your early path kind of bring you into the hospitality industry? Sure. So I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and I moved to Chicago in 2002 um, with the intention of going to graduate school for education. Um, I've always had a passion for teaching and and for learning. Um, And in 2003, I got my first, um, actually my second restaurant job. My first restaurant job was when I was 15 years old at Shoney's. Fast forward to 2003, however many years, I think, what is that, like 11 years later, um, I got uh, my first restaurant job in Chicago, and um, I just kept moving up the ranks, and I landed at um, Blue Water Grill in Chicago in 2006, and that is when I first really, really got into wine. Um, before then, I really didn't know very much. I was a um, white Zinfandel and white Merlot drinker and yellowtail Shiraz and things of that nature, and when I got to Chicago and I got an a chance to experience working with some amazing wine professionals, I was introduced to the wonderful world of beverage and how vast it is. Um, And I was really, really intrigued about how geography and science and art and passion all came into play into making these wonderful beverages that we enjoy. And I also like giving a, um, giving a really, really good guest experience 
Um, when I was in St. Louis, I also worked for the airlines as well. So I've got a customer service background. Um, and I was um, really glad that I could bring my customer service background to something that I was introduced to that I was so passionate about and had so much extensive exposure just from being in Chicago. So um, that's pretty much how I got started in the wine business, working at um, Blue Water Grill in downtown Chicago. Um, I also worked at some other restaurants like Naha, Mercat a la Plancha. I worked for Tizzy Malul, Flatwater Grill, Kendall College, um, a plethora of avenues. And in each of those avenues, um, I was exposed to um, really, really amazing people, really, really amazing product. Um, and I've, I've been fortunate to be able to share some of those experiences that I've gotten with um, some of my guests and my audience today. Wow, what a fascinating journey. I mean, you've kind of, you know, definitely moved around to all these different restaurants in Chicago. And I would love to learn um, from you, you know, it, it, you obviously had experience and exposure to both spirits and wine. You know, what made you really want to dive into wine? Because something I was really excited to talk to you today to kind of talk about wine, because that's my background in the industry. I really started off with wine and I went through you know, getting certified as a sommelier and, and just really, you know, starting with boutique Italian wine and, and loving, you know, kind of the, the romanticism of wine and, and, you know, the, the place and, and all of that. And, and back when I was selling, we had like a very uh, defined spirits sales team and then mm -hmm. wine. So we were like the wine people and they were like the crazy fun spirits people that always looked like they had more fun. And we were always like, Super more serious, serious <laughs> you know, and, and whatever. But, um, recently in my career, I've, I'm now like really immersed in spirits working with the beam Centauri portfolio. And I'm like, Oh my God, I love it. You know? And I, and Bridget's been doing such a great job immersing me into this, the spirits culture. And, and there's a lot of similarities. I wish there would be a lot more integration between, mm -hmm. you know, wine and spirits. Uh, I do feel that it's a bit siloed. So I would love to just hear from you, kind of your experience in, in both of those categories. And then what kind of led you to, to really getting full, full into wine. I'm so glad that you asked that question. And I'm glad that Bridget is here to like hear the answer. Um, because um, I gravitated to wine, believe it or not, and this may sound crazy, like for me, wine was a little bit less intimidating than, than um, spirits was because I have always gravitated more towards like the floor than working behind the bar. And it's funny because people always assume, oh, you're into wine and spirits. That means you're a mixologist. I'm like, absolutely not. I can work a bar, like I can follow a recipe and I'm quick and, and I can talk like that, that. That's all I can bring to the table as far as like bar is concerned. Um, but I've actually had the privilege of, um, you know, working alongside Bridget and her counterpart, Debbie, when she was in Chicago and um, Southern would host these like cocktail labs. And it was a time where I got an opportunity to like play mixologist and, you know, like see what all the mixologists in Chicago were doing. And to be honest with you, like I always felt like that was more of like, like the mixology side was more of like an art that you actually had to curate and create. Whereas wine, it was like the art was already kind of like done for you and you could just bring your skills to the table and execute that art. And I always just felt more comfortable with wine because, you know, I could do wine service, you know, I could do the decanting, I could do the champagne, I could talk, you know, comfortably about geography and, you know, comfortably about winemaking. And for spirits, it was just way more integrated 
for me. And because like I spent more of my time like serving versus bartending, I just naturally gravitated towards the wine side. And I always had people like Bridget, like Debbie, like Lynn, Chastity, Josh, like all these names in Chicago that I could just call on a moment's notice if I had a mixology question. So, you know, the fact that I I had this amazing community at my disposal kind of made me a little lazy in terms of learning because I had like such a great, you know, resource just at my fingertips. And all those people I just mentioned, I've got like on speed dial. So in short, that's why I ended up with, you know, ended up in wine versus spirits. Yeah, that that's really interesting. You know, that's a great analogy. And I never really thought so much about that, about when you're on the spirit side, you tend to be behind the bar and there is a ton of creativity. And now it's evolved into not just creating your own cocktail, but being content creators, right? And, sure. and telling these different stories and really making something so unique. And you do have to have that creative spark to do it. Whereas wine is more front of the house. It's more of that that table side service. And, and I loved your description of that. So- Thank you. That was amazing. You're welcome. Wanda, can you tell us what really inspired you to go through the certification through the Court of Master Sommeliers? You know, you are an advanced sommelier. Um, Can you tell us what that experience is like? You know, what are your current feelings about the court? And, um, you know, just what, what drove you to that certification? Sure. So the first certification, the level one, I was driven to it because honestly, we hosted it at Blue Water Grill, Chicago, and we had opportunities to sit in for one of, for the class and for the certification. And I'll never forget on the, um, on the dry erase board that they have in every restaurant where they make like daily announcements in in the 86s or whatnot, there was an announcement saying, who wants to become a sommelier? Um, we've got these seats available. If you would like to participate in the class and 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 in the exam, just let let us know. And at the time, our sommelier he was uh, James Kenna, who now works for Maverick, but he was our sommelier at the time. And I said, "Well, you know, that sounds really cool." Like at that time, I was just like, you know, like a enthusiast slash starting scholar. And I said, "Oh, this is a really really good opportunity for me to learn about this." And he agreed to mentor me through the process. And we had about like three or four months lead time. And I said, well, I don't even know how to study for anything like this. Like I had been, you know, in upscale dining for like six months at the time. And he said, okay, well, this was before, you know, we had all these great technology devices. So I bought the Sudley's Encyclopedia, which I'm not kidding you, is about that thick. And I just kind of started like reading it and trying to pick up notes um, over, you know, what I think might be important. And I would apply whatever I learned to, you know, whatever we were selling on the floor, whatever we were doing, whatever like wines we had in our portfolio. And I ended up passing the test. Um, I didn't think I was going to pass it, but I ended up passing it. And when I did, I said, well, holy crap, this must be something that I'm meant to do. So, you know, let, let me, let me keep studying. You know, I've got this plethora of resources and another major resource was um, Southern Wine and Spirits, a school of wine back in 2007, 2008. And that was um, headed up by Serafin Alvarado. Um, he was the sommelier who did the courses and um, Brian Orlick helped to oversee and Mary Barranco also helped to oversee. And um, it, it was, it was a, an amazing resource of knowledge. Just the, the theory component that we got, we got the theory component from from a master sommelier. And then we had the tasting component to go alongside. And, and that really, really helped me to connect the dots. It showed me how to study wine 
Um, and it helped me to bring out the things that were important. And basically like was my introduction into like, you know, what's, what's relevant, what's not, um, what you want to learn for yourself and what you want to teach to your guests. So that's how I got into that. So I took the first level in 2007, I took the certified in 2009, and then I took the advanced in 2014. And I've actually sat the master sommelier theory exam back in um, 2000 and, uh, 2018. I sat that in Dallas. So it was just kind of like a succession. It was kind of like a thing where I was like, I had the opportunity. So I just furthered my studies. And my thoughts on what's going on now, like things are just really, really in a flux. And you know, they've got a lot to work on in terms of like revamping their image and, you know, and their and the relevance in the community. But in the meantime, in between time, um, I, I'm still serving as a mentor to anyone who is interested in that field and sharing the knowledge that I have acquired um, to any other hopeful scholars. What they choose to do is what they choose to do. I'm just going to um, pass along the information, the experience that I have acquired. That's that's really great to hear your perspective. For somebody that my network of people, when I got into the business were sommeliers, I was, um, you know, selling a fine Italian portfolio of some of the finest Italian wines and nobody would give me time unless they were a sommelier because they were super interested and they would taste all my wines. And and that's really how I learned, you know, Mm -hmm. by listening uh, to the Psalms and learning with them and uh, Southern offered the introductory course and I took that and then. I ended up getting certified when I took a regional fine wine job. But, you know, I think going back and even just getting certified, I realized how excruciating the study is. And I I remember going to my sommelier friends like Cynthia Betancourt um, here, you know, she's an advanced sommelier here in Miami. And she's like, well, when is the test? And I'm like, it's in two weeks. And she's like, are you crazy? I'm like, I need it. I need it for this job that I'm getting. They want me to have a certification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she helped me with all the basics, but taking that really humbled me and made me recognize that my customers and my, the sommeliers that I serve, you know, that I supported as a distributor salesperson put so much of their life into studying, you know, from Mm -hmm. the certification and then advanced forget it. Like that is you dedicate so much of your life and it's something to really be proud of. And I know you guys all are. And it was really heartbreaking to me with everything that came out of the court. And a lot of that stuff is because, you know, regardless of the people that created this type of culture environment that, you know, should be held accountable. I think the people that are hurt the most are, are people like you and, and the community that have like really devoted your life to, to getting the certification process. And it, and it is something to, to really be proud of. I guess I'd like to know a little bit more of like, how do you feel about that? You know, are you going to continue to go for, you know, the higher level, you know, and, and become a master sommelier or or what are your thoughts around that and your next steps? I'm glad that you asked. And I completely agree. Um, There are so many of us that kind of like just got caught in the flux. There are a lot of us who are master sommelier hopefuls um, that kind of are like, okay, now what do we do? You know, we've spent all this time. We've spent all of these resources, all this energy, all this money. Like I literally put, you know, like I literally like, delayed marriage and kids 
<laughs> until I could get to a certain level in my sommelier studies. And then once I got like, I got advanced in 2014, I got married in 2015 and I got pregnant that same year. So um, I always knew that like, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's going to require so much that I'm just going to like wait and get that done before I move on. Um, in terms of my personal opinions, I've had quite a few like pivots that I've had to do in my life that don't really like, aren't really affording me the luxury and the time that it's going to take to pursue the master's degree at this time. Uh, with that said, um, it's kind of like on the, it, it's, it's shelved, but not like completely thrown away. Like I, I'm sure I'll get to it at some point. I've kind of had to do some repivoting just because of things that have happened, you know, my personal and family life, you know, COVID, the moves, but um, the way that I am looking at it is like, I've still been blessed and fortunate to have gotten so much experience and so much education. And I have to give a shout out to my mentors in Chicago, um, because if it was not for them, if it wasn't, you know, for the master Somalia community in Chicago and the advanced Somalia community in Chicago, I never would have been able to get to this. So I just had to give them a quick shout out. Um, but in terms of like what I'm, what I can do is I can still impart knowledge whether or not I decide to get the big, shiny, golden, red pen doesn't mean that I can't still help the next generation who's interested in studying wine. That doesn't mean that I can't help to knock down doors, to knock down barriers for women and for people of color who are looking to get into this industry and other people from other marginalized uh, groups. Um, it doesn't mean that I still can't give award-winning service or to impart my guests with the knowledge and the experience that they that they love and that they can use to create for themselves. Like all of that work is not in vain because it ultimately was not truly just about the pen. It was about bringing what I have to the table with my guests and my, and the mentees and the people that I helped to establish. So it's not just for me. It was for the greater good. So I feel like I kind of like, I, I haven't really lost, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you haven't lost a thing. Oh my <laughs> goodness. I wish that this was a video today, just to see the passion in your eyes and in your gestures. So you haven't <laughs> lost a darn thing. And you Thank know, your, you. your motto today is still like imbibe, learn, enjoy, and repeat. And I know you're just going to continue to do that, you know, with the community and just keep lifting up um, others and their voices because it's needed. So thank you for being honest and for, you know, sharing that, that really brave opinion. Very much appreciate it. And I know our listeners as well as well. Um, can you talk to us a bit yeah. about wine itself? So, you know, I am a spirit nerd. I'm a craft spirit nerd. And I'm just going to say it like I really didn't start drinking wine mm. until maybe 10 years ago. So this is still very recent to me. Um, I've always been a beer drinker. I still love bourbon. I still love beer. Um, but, but just <laughs> in the past 10 years, I've really taken a liking to wine, but you know, it, I, I do think, and tell me if I'm speaking out of turn Wanda, but you know, probably 20 years ago, the choices were a lot slimmer than it is now. So as a consumer going into buy a bottle of wine for me, it's very intimidating, you know, where we used to have maybe old world and new world. And now I don't even know what's happening on the shelf. Can you maybe give some tips, you know, if you're a novice like myself, when you're going in to purchase um, a bottle to try at home, like, what do you look for? Or even when you're tasting, like, what are you looking for as, as a novice? 
as a novice. So um, I highly, highly recommend that anyone, um, regardless of their experience level, shop from like your local neighborhood wine shops and boutiques. Um, and ice, or like if you're in Chicago, somewhere like Benny's or Vin Chicago, or some of the chains where you have knowledgeable people that can like lead you through your purchase. Um, and that's one of the most important things that you can do as a consumer is to let the professional know what it is that you're looking for. Be honest about the style of wine that you like to drink. Um, if you like sweet wine, I mean, I adore sweet wine. Um, I always have, I always will. Um, then, then, then be honest, you know, if you're looking for, you know, some people like try to, they'll like, they'll, they'll like sheepishly or, you know, like embarrassingly say like, oh, well, you know, I like something sweet. No, like, don't be embarrassed about that. Like be forward what you like, tell them what you're looking to spend, tell them what you've had in the past and tell them what it is that you want to get out of your bottle. So if you're looking for something that is full bodied, um, fruitful, you know, with big fruit, tell them that. And tell them that in the most basics of terms that you have. So like, you don't have to have a bunch of, you don't have to have like a sommelier lexicon to, you know, explain to what it, you know, what it is that you're looking for. Dry, red, full, period. That's it. That's pretty much all that you need to tell the person that you are buying from. Um, in terms of like what to look for, um, generally, like I look for an appellation, like a little bit smaller than the state. So when I say appellation, I mean like, where is the wine from? So like you, you go into the wine store and you'll see like California on your, on your bottle of like Cabernet or Pinot Noir or whatever. And what that means is those grapes can be sourced anywhere in California from, from the Redwoods, you know, like, like from like just bordering like Lake Tahoe all the way down to like San Diego. And um, there's going to be a lot of variation in those grapes and how they're expressed. Like some are going to be more fruity. Some are going to have like more acid, more tannin or whatever. So you're going to get a lot of variation in those bottles. So look for something that says like a county on it. Like look for something that says like Sonoma County or something that something that has a little bit more, a little bit smaller source of um, where the grapes are sourced from. Look for like Sonoma County. Look for um, like, you know. Columbia Valley within Washington state. Um, look for areas like Clarksburg. Look, and, and then you can ask like, you know, well, well, what is this area like Clarksburg? I've never heard of this. And they'll tell you, oh, you know, it's an area, you know, not too far from like the Sierra foothills or whatnot. And, you know, it is a smaller region where grapes are sourced from. And then when you do that, you're going to get wines that have a little bit more identity in them and that have a little bit better structure because they're all sourced from one place. So you're going to have a little bit more consistency and continuity in the wine styles. And once you're able to get like that consistent consistency and that continuity, you can then identify what style of wine that you like. Does that make sense? So like if you're drinking Napa Cab, the cabs that you're going to drink are going to be fuller body. They're going to be richer. They're going to have higher alcohol. Um, they're going to have a particular unique style, whether or not you spend 20 bucks on that Napa cap or whether or not you spend 550, they're all going to have kind of like that same style versus if you get like a wine that's, just, you know, California, you're going to get something that has a lot more like variation and doesn't really have like that, um, that, that unique thumbprint that some of the smaller Appalachians have. Also, like, look for closeouts and deals. So if you see a wine that was originally priced at, like, $22 and you see it for, like, 12 chances are that's a closeout. 
doesn't mean it's a bad wine. It just means like the guests or the customers didn't really get it, couldn't really put it into their repertoire. And um, it's sitting and they got to make room for something else. So use your deals, look for smaller appellations and um, ask ask whoever's working there. Tell them what you're looking to get and, and what you wanted to do and how much you want to spend. I loved that description. I think it's, you know, it's very practical. And and one thing I learned working with a lot of our, our wine educators and experts is that, you know, you know your stuff when you can explain it so simply, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I think the way that you explained it is so helpful. And I'm, and Bridget, I'm so glad you asked that question because it really is about that place, you know, and, and nothing wrong with grapes that come all over California, but that's what you use for sangria, right? Mm-hmm. And and so when you really want to understand um, that specific place and, and that specific style of wine, it's, it's really ideal to get closer to where those grapes are from. Um, so what are you drinking now? I see you've got something that you're sipping on. So I was telling Bridget this, um, I'm out of coffee. And, um, I'm, I'm a caffeine, like I have to have my caffeine and, um, I'm also out of black and white tea. The only teas that I had, I had like elderberry, blueberry, and I had like green Zen tea. I had the hug a tree tea, um, everything with all the antioxidants and make you feel good, make you live until you're like 206. And that does absolutely nothing for me. So I figured, okay, well, I can't have, you know, caffeine. I might as well take it to the flip side and drink some wine. I have, um, I had some Riesling in my, in my fridge. Love it. So I'm drinking Frisk Prickly Riesling from Victoria. I actually have the bottle. Nice. So it is an off dry Riesling from Victoria, Australia. And I bought it for a couple of reasons. I actually got it from the store that I'm um, working at now. Um, I love, I'm a huge Riesling nut. And that's because like, I love like high acid mineral driven wines with a sense of place and minerality. And um, it's super duper inexpensive. It's like, I don't know, it's like 10, 12 bucks. Um, And when I first saw it, it was when I was living in Tulsa. And I was like, wait, Riesling from Victoria, Australia, like it doesn't, it doesn't even hardly rain in Victoria. Like they, like there's no crap grown in Victoria because they simply don't have the water and the resources to grow bulk wine. Like everything they make is at least going to be pretty good. So I bought it and I'm like, hmm, that's pretty good. It's got good, you know, it's, it's a little off dry. So it does have a little bit of sweetness, has that acid I love and um, it's not too high in alcohol and it got my morning started. Nice. You know, in, in lieu of the coffee. And like I said, I love Riesling, so I can drink it all day, every day. I'm probably not gonna, because if I do, I'll be asleep by two o'clock. <laughs> Wanda, you know, something that the three of us have in common, besides um, that we like to drink wine, <laughs> <laughs> is that the three of us are all, you know, we're working in the beverage industry, and we are all moms. And so I just want to just take a minute to recognize that and just talk a little bit about what that experience has has been like um, for you. I know for me personally, you know, I've had um, so many, I'll just say what it is. Like it's been very challenging at most of the time. And um, a lot of times it's been very rewarding, but I'd love to hear from you because I know you have two beautiful, you know, little, little babes in your house. So can you talk to us about what that's been like for you? Sure. So um, I'll start off by letting you all know I've got twins. Well, Bridget, you knew this, but I don't know if Julie knew. Um, my twins just turned five on March 31st. Oh. So I took an extended maternity leave. Um, and when I say extended, I mean years 
because um, from a financial aspect, it just didn't make sense to like go to work to make a couple hundred bucks a month after, you know, like after you get through paying for double daycare for babies. But I still was able to kind of stay in the loop via social media. Um, and I was actually able to study. That's when I was studying for the MS when my kids were babies. Mm-hmm. And I would um, drink a pot of coffee at like around eight o'clock right before we put them to bed um, so that I could stay up and study. I would study during nap time and I would go to wine events whenever um, my husband was, would come home from work just because like I didn't really have the time or the energy. And, and that pretty much lasted for like a good two and a half years. In 2018, I really started to join the scene again. Um, I was a part of tasting groups. I started doing some consulting and some education work. Um, and um, as of recent, um, I've been able to, since I moved back to St. Louis, I've um, actually just started a new job at Grapevine Wine and Spirits in Kirkwood, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. And um, I've been able to do it because I'm on a kind of like a part-time basis. Um, and now I'm in the retail aspect um, and we're open from like 10 to 6, 10 to 5 on the weekends. So um, I'm able to still be in the business while I'm taking care of my kids because, you know, by the time I get out of work, it's still light outside. And I've got my family here to um, get my kids from um, when they start kindergarten, they can go and get them from school. And I'm still able to go to work. My kids have known ever since um, they were babies that mommy does wine adventures. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter sometimes will put on a dress and put on some of my heels and grab a wine glass and say, I'm going to be mommy. I'm going on a wine adventure. And uh, my son loves to smell wine. Like that's, he's my um, abstract baby. He's left-handed and artsy and everything like that. So he's really, really interested in like the smells and like, you know, what I'm doing when I'm studying and, and, and my daughter, God bless her. She's like me all over again. God help me. <laughs> And she's more interested in like the social aspect. Like she's like, I want to go to wine events and, you know, like go and put on heels and look pretty and, you know, go taste wine. And my, my son is like, hmm, why does it smell like this? So um, my kids have known from the beginning that this is what I do. And I'm fortunate to have the job that I have right now to still allow me to be in the industry and, and still stay relevant. Because if it wasn't for that, I'm not exactly sure how I would be able to do it and still be a mom, especially if I were in restaurants. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that is a challenge that we overcome, right? And and mm-hmm. I say this over and over again, I feel like becoming a mom gives you superpowers, you know, and and it gives you powers that you never knew you even had. And um it, and for me it's made me definitely a better person, more efficient and and better at what I do. I'd love to know more because I think you do do amazing things and you offer other services outside of, you know, your current job through VinBev. Yes. And I've checked out your website and, and it just looks fantastic. And it looks like you've had a lot of partners that utilize you. So could you tell us a little bit more about VinBev and, and how people could find you and partner with you? Absolutely. So um, VinBev kind of like was born when I was living in Dallas in like 2000, I think it was like 2017, 2018. And um, I created it because um, at, at the time, like I, I was still on maternity leave, but I didn't want like my experience to kind of like get dull. Um, so like I figured, okay, I need to start a company where I can at least, you know, offer my services on a consulting basis. And um, it actually like extends from like the interpretation was the, was the name of, of, of my first company. And, you know, like as I evolved and as like, you know, the, be- the needs of the beverage world evolved, I kind of figured, okay, like I, 
I want to scale this back a bit. So like I, I changed the name, I changed my concept a little bit and just, you know, really put my focus on like education and events and, you know, um, partnering, like I've been fortunate to partner with a lot of amazing people um, and, and, and do some really, really good things. So um, what I'm doing now with VinBev is um, I do a lot of virtual events and the pandemic was a blessing and a curse for me. It was a blessing because it put me on the same stage as everyone else, because now everyone was virtual. No one was, you know, that was where I was lacking before because I wasn't in person. Now I was virtual and I was doing events. I was doing wine tastings. Um, I do wine classes. I actually just did a, um, I launched the blind tasting series class for black wine professionals um, in conjunction with um, Julia Coney um, and uh, black wine professionals um, um, teaching enthusiasts and uh, wine scholars how to blind taste. Um, I have also done events where I basically pair like a artistic concept with wine um, and and tie that into wine education. Um, So that's been pretty much the highlight of what I've been doing is 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 education um and no matter like what my event is if it's something more social if it's something you know a little bit more like you know structured i always tie education component into it because i want to make sure that people are informed about what they're drinking and what i'm talking about i don't want them to just be lost so um i make sure that i that all of my guests have a really really good understanding at least a a, a broad understanding about the world of wine and and what you've got in front of you and why it's so special. Yeah, that's, um, I, you know, education, I feel like is always the key to get people to participate and join because that's just, you know, so valuable to be able to leave an event and feel like you've learned something and you know something and, and it's, and it's this world of wine is so great. People just love to learn more and then be able to go into that restaurant and say, Oh, I know this wine or I've had Mm -hmm. it, you know, and, and I'm going to order it. So I think that's really great that you're providing those type of events and, and those resources. And, you know, I, I, I'd love to learn more about um, the black wine professionals and, and your kind of perspective of being a woman of color and being in such a leadership role in fine wine and, and being an advanced sommelier. What is your perspective of people of color getting into this world and, and really making a big career of it? And tell us a little bit more about uh, the organization. So um, I've got like a story for every question that you <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and I hope that's helping to illustrate it. Yes. So um, Black Wine Professionals, and I'm not going to delve too much into that because that would be a better question for um, Julia as she is the head honcho for it. So Black Wine Professionals essentially was created because there was a um, concern that there weren't enough people of color that were included in the beverage industry. And people were saying, well, you know, we don't really know a lot of Black Wine Professionals or beverage professionals. And Black Wine Professionals was really created, you know, to help to facilitate that need. Say, okay, well, you said before you didn't really know any black wine professionals. Here's 60 of them, or, you know, here's a hundred of them or however many they've got in the database. Now it probably has grown since they launched it. And that was basically a way of letting the world know, like we're here. A lot of us have been here for decades. Um, when I was in Chicago, there was, um, there was Rodney Alex, there was Brian Duncan, and there was Lynn House. Um, and, and that was essentially like who I, and there were Seraphine Alvarado, I got to include him also and Fernando Bateta and Alpana 
let's just keeps going and going. Um, there are people who, you know, were minorities who were, you know, in these positions to impart all this knowledge. And, you know, Black wine professionals is basically like showcasing us like here. Now you don't have an excuse to say like you didn't know of any Black wine professionals because here's a database of, of wine professionals globally, not even just nationally anymore. You know, and they break it down like you want a floor psalm. Here's your psalms here. Here's your here's people who work for a distributor. Here's who works for an importer. Like we're here. So you can you can no longer pretend that we're invisible. No, I, I think that's really great to know. I mean, again, I I'm so excited that that was created, and and we definitely want to get the word out um, of Black Wine Professionals. But the you know the fact that we have to do that right just to yeah. be included, and and there's so many leaders within this industry that have done exactly that right when you've got Josh Davis with um sure you know uh brown and balanced and and what he did it's like okay you're not gonna give us a space we'll create our own space you know yeah and, yeah you know and then you've got like Samara Davis with Black Bourbon Society and and yes we will if you know and I used to always say that if you don't want to invite me to your party I'll throw my own party and everybody yep. will be invited so. I, I I did that like I I did I did just that with uh tasting groups when I was trying to move up from the um, certified to the advanced, like there was kind of like exclusive group or whatnot. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I can't get the invites. I'm just going to go ahead and create my own. Um, and that's kind of like what we have done. You know, people of color, it's like, okay, we're going to create our own space um, so that we are visible to the world. And so the people know, and I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of, you know, people of color who didn't even really realize that this is a viable career option. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I went on a date with the guy, um, this is before I met, years before I met my husband, and um, I was working at Blue Water Grill at the time, and I told him I worked in restaurants, and he was like, what are you, a waiter? And he kind of like scoffed, and he was a high school teacher, and um, Bridget, you remember Blue Water Grill, like we brought in bank. Yeah, you did. That was, <laughs> I was thinking, that was a no joke. I mean. It, it was, yeah. and I was like, you know, to be honest with you, dude, like I make more money than you do. And I have way more fun and I work a fraction of the hours. So um, like he didn't realize that, you know, that that hospitality was actually a viable and lucrative income source. So, you know, it's just all about like, you know, getting the word out there like, hey, like black, not only do wine, like black beverage professionals exist, but there is a huge, vast world out there of, of, of space and opportunity for you to come and learn and take a part of. Yeah. And, and I think that you just hit something um, right on the head when you say that so many people don't realize what exists in the industry, whether it be in wine, spirits, mixology, whether you're in a brick and mortar, right? Mm -hmm. So many times when we think of the, the beverage industry or restaurant industry, if you're not in it, it's seen as we well, are a bartender, maybe you're an owner, hostess, barback, uh, but there's so much more. There's so many other career options and it just keeps growing, you know, especially when you look into the supplier world or distributor mm -hmm. world or, you know, so there are a lot of opportunities out there and it is, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, we all, I, I believe collectively as an industry have to do a better job at amplifying the voices um, that are within the community and then also amplifying the opportunities you know, to really, to be very crystal clear and very transparent and what is available out there. Sure. Uh, because if you're just entering this industry, I think it can be very intimidating. 
absolutely can be. Um, it's intimidating for a lot of people. And that's why it's so important for, you know, people of color to, in leadership roles to be visible and to be approachable. And just to let people know, like, hey, it, it doesn't really matter your experience level, what it is that you want out of this. I'm here to answer any questions that you have and to point you in the right direction and make those connections for you so you can start building that knowledge and start building those relationships to do whatever it is that you're looking to do. Yeah. And and they need that, right? That that new generation or whether, um, you know, and, it, and that doesn't mean age, right? Or that that new group that's coming into this industry they really need that support of the leaders um, within our beverage industry and, and especially minority people and, and people of color. They need to see leaders like yourself, right, in these positions where they can say, oh, that could be me. I want to learn about her journey and what you said about being approachable. I think that's so important. When I hear from other people that, oh, that so-and-so now that they're in this leadership position, they won't even talk to me or they're so unapproachable. And I think, wow, what a shame, you know, like what a waste of a leadership space, because as you become a leader, you should become more approachable. You should become more humble and and more willing to to help other people get up, you know, and um, and and I think that that's one of the most important things that we're doing with this podcast is we want to provide a platform so that as we have listeners hear from people like you and and Bridget and and just everybody and say, okay, you know, I could do that too, and and I'm gonna achieve that. So I'm just so excited to meet you because I'm already like, okay, we're gonna put you with. <laughs> Amanda with Vino Karma. I don't know if you've heard of Vino Karma. I haven't, but I definitely, um, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. You can I need look to it be up on social media more, <laughs> so I can learn who everyone is. But charge it to my head, not my heart, and my yeah. baby. Don't don't worry. I mean, that's why we're all here, right? To com- to to network. I'm not very much on social. I, I'm not a big social media. I'm like on LinkedIn. You know, everybody's like, great. Mm-hmm. That doesn't count, you know. But Amanda reached out to us. She has a very similar platform to us uh, with Served Up, but she does it more through YouTube, and she has a channel. And you know, she's based out of San Diego, and her mission is to really provide a platform for those that don't ne- normally get featured within the. Sure. Wine world, right? And when you think of wine, I mean, everybody talks about craft spirits. Wine is all about craft, right? I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And there's so many wineries that are so small and, and people like you that are so important to get the word out of wine. So we're definitely going to connect you two together. Thank you. And you know, l- let me interject this also. Um, it's important to be in those spaces, but it's also important for us to be like visible, Um, When I first started going to wine tastings in Chicago back in 2007, like it wasn't very many people that looked like me. I'm not a person that's easily intimidated. So that wasn't an issue that I had, but that's not necessarily the story of someone else. If these events start to mirror like what America really looks like, I think that then people are going to feel more comfortable in being in, they're going to feel like it's a safe space. Mm -hmm. 100%. I mean, you know, as somebody that 
that sold Italian wine, but it was fine wine. You know, you, you do, you go to these events, you're the only woman. And then at that, you're the only minority, mm-hmm. you know, sitting at the table and it is intimidating, but I think, you know, people like us, you know, you got a strong personality. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to insert myself and, and I'm, I'm here. Right. And, and, but not everybody's like that. And they shouldn't have to be like that. Right. What are your thoughts? How do we make it more inclusive? How do we make these events that are like the must go, right? Like the new vintage of Bordeaux release or the Ooh, I miss that event. Spectator <laughs> or like Burgundy, you know, and, and all these events that everybody's like, you have to go. How do we make sure that it is more inclusive and that the community does look like the community? They need to be promoted on um, on platforms that are visited and frequented by people of color, period. Yeah. Because most people aren't going to know about it. Like I know about the annual Bordeaux tasting because like I was in the business, but um, there also needs to be, you know, and a lot of times they have like the trade part and then they have the consumer part. The consumer part needs to be listed on some of these black platforms, period. Like mm-hmm. if they're not listed, people aren't going to find out about it. And the more people find out about it, the more buzz will be created and the more people will, you know, want to be included. Yeah. And and I really think it starts with who's on your leadership team, who's on your marketing mm-hmm. team, who's on your communications team, right? If everybody looks the same, you're going to be targeting the same audience all of the course. time. You of know, course. if you have somebody like us on your leadership team, and we're talking about how are we going to engage and how are we going to reach and, and build up our participation while well, it'd be like, Hey, you need to go here. You need to go here. Have you thought about this? But right. You know, and, and that's something that we really talk about is more than just the audience and the participation mm-hmm. being diverse. You need your leadership and, and the sure. people that carry out the message to be diverse. It's like I used to tell my, when, uh, when my mother was still here physically, um, I would, you know, a quote that I would tell her is when she would say, I don't understand why this person didn't think of this or didn't consider this. I'm like, mom, you're not on their radar. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean like that they're trying to be, you know, divisive or non-inclusive. You're simply not on the radar. It's mm-hmm. not even in your scope of thinking because you're intertwined in your own world and what your own world's needs are. And that's why like, you, you know, like DNI committees are so important because now you've got someone else who's thinking outside of the box in terms of like what their world looks like and, and, and what is needed to, you know, facilitate that world and to make them feel included. So yeah, yeah. leadership is huge. Yeah. And huge. I love that you say that, right? It's not like intentionally, like we want to exclude this group. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And, and, and it's not making excuses. And it's funny because I used to get so sensitive about something like, oh, you know, they didn't think of this or, you know, and they purposely left me on this. And then, you know, and I, and I remember one person like gave me the best advice and they're like, you're giving them way too much credit, you know, that they're even like thinking of you and what your thoughts. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel so much better. But, you know, it it, it is kind of true. Like, and it's always this saying, which I really can't stand is like, oh, it's not broken. Don't fix it. Well, it's broken. Yeah. You know? And there's a big world out there. Yeah. It's not broken to them. Yeah. But, you know, like perception is reality. Um, and just because it's not broken to you, doesn't mean it's not broken to someone else. You know what I mean? People's view of like, oh, if it's not, I'm glad that you said if it's not broke, then don't fix it. It's like, okay, what is your like definition of broke? Mm -hmm. Because broke in your eyes 
may be broke, you know, may, may not be broken to someone else and vice versa. Yeah. So it might be working through your eyes and through your world. But, you know, as my mother used to say, there's a whole nother world out there beyond what you can see and beyond what you can think. And when you are, you know, when you're in a space like that, you want to try to do what you can to make sure that all interested parties are represented, period. A hundred percent. And, you know, I've been asked, well, what is the future of the wine industry? And especially like during the pandemic and and everybody's been hurt, spirits and wine, you know, specifically the on-premise. Spirits is doing better than wine, right? And, and, and when you think of innovation, you know, spirits are always innovating and wine has been kind of same, same, same. When you think of the majority of who leads wine in this country in, in mm-hmm. the world yeah. um, and that, that top leadership, it's very the same. You know, and so my recommendation's always been like, if the wine industry wants to become more relevant, they need to get with the times, right? Like this old school way of like having these drawn out wine dinners that last hours and and you're hearing one person lecture. I want to see more diverse leaders leading wine. Like those events sound a lot more fun to me, right? Mm -hmm. To to participate in. And, And that's something we did here in Miami when I was selling, because we did have a diverse sommelier group. And we would have like really cool, like you're saying, blind tastings and this and this, like that needs to be the norm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the spirits industry, which is what's so exciting is like the bartender community, regardless of what you look like, it, like they really come together and drive that community. And I would love to see that more with wine. And I know you're doing so much work with that already. You know, whatever we can do to support you to continue that would be just amazing for everybody. I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate that. And I'll be in, I'll, we'll, we'll sidebar later on and, and talk about ways to make that happen. Of course, 100%. I mean, this is something that we love about Served Up. And, and it's really about, you know, I get to meet all Bridget's friends, right? And, <laughs> and people that she's been with over the years. And this is what we want to do. We want to partner with you with, with the great things that you're doing, that everybody's doing, and, and really see how we can amplify and make sure that we're helping you with your mission. So, you know, with that, as, as we wrap up, what's next? Next. What's next for you? And, and what do you want to see? Hmm. More of the same, more, more passion, uh, more inclusion. Um, I want to see everyone that has been as privileged as I am do what I'm doing and similar and opening up their heart, opening up their mind and, you know, dedicating some of their time and energy to facilitate a safe space and opportunities for the next generation. You know, you're, you're a mom, so you can understand this. You always want the next generation to be more successful than you were. Um, and you want things to be easier. Like one of the reasons that I work so hard is because I want my children to never have to work as hard as I did. You could just, just focus on being great. Like if you can just Mm -hmm. focus on being great, like you can really, really move mountains. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and that's what I want to see. You know, I want to see, you know, people sharing the love, um, and, and sharing the wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And that's so valuable. And we appreciate all the work you're doing. And I'm just glad that we've had a chance to meet and learn about all the great stuff. And, and we're going to continue this conversation and be in touch. And, you know, we've got a few people that we would love for you to connect with. And, and we'll, we'll help, you know, we're all going to work together to drive this initiative. And hopefully in the next year and in five years, we could say, look, 
you know, look at these great events. You know, we went to the Bordeaux vintage release, we went to the new Burgundy Day and look at the crowd, you know, and, and look at the people participating and leading this. Um, it looks like the community. And I don't think that's too much to ask because we've got a lot of talented people out there that that make up our our beverage community and, and we just need to give them center stage. I agree. I completely agree. I'm with it a hundred percent. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We wish all the best successes to you and your family and to all the work that you're doing. And we will continue to be in touch and we hope to have you back on again to talk about some really amazing things that are happening. Thank you. It would be my honor and my pleasure. Cheers to you all. Cheers, Wanda. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers! Cheers!